This is program C, 747. And last time we were together, we said goodbye to the great hero Judas Maccabee, Yehuda the Hammerer. He had just reached out to the Romans and made a mutual assistance treaty with them. And then, in my opinion, very foolishly engaged with an overwhelming force under the leadership of Bacchiades without depending upon God. And he ends up dead. This is all in 159 BC, uh, the spring of that year, the first month, actually. Well, the, the high priest Alchemus uh, had gotten into his position uh, not because he was a descendant of Aaron. Uh, that was really kind of beside the point. He got it because he had reached out to the Macedonian Syrian leader, Demetrius, uh, to say that he was the better man to lead the Jews into this Hellenistic period, to bring them into the modern age, as he probably uh, wanted to describe it, where they would worship the same gods in the same way and live and speak the same way as the Macedonians, the Greeks. Uh, well, Alchemus is not really leading religious ceremonies at Jerusalem. Uh, he's had to run away uh, because uh, Judah, uh, Judas wouldn't let him uh, stick around and do his garbage. So in reality, Judas has been kind of acting as the high priest since he cleansed the temple uh, back in 164. Well, once Judas is dead, Alchemus manages to get into Jerusalem and start functioning, and we're going to use that in air quotes, as the high priest leader at Jerusalem. And this is what he does. This is from 1 Maccabees chapter 9, verse 54. In the 153rd year, in the second month, so just a few weeks after Judas was dead, Alchemus gave orders to tear down the inner wall, or down down the wall of the inner court of the sanctuary. And he tore down the work of the prophets. Now that's the words of the writer of 1 Maccabees. He, the writer of 1 Maccabees does not typically chime in with his own personal feelings uh, about what he's writing about. But this time he can't help himself. Uh, the, the supposed high priest, a descendant of Aaron, starts ripping down the internal uh, workings of the temple complex. Verse 55, But he only began to tear it down, for at that time Alchemus was stricken and his work was hindered. His mouth was stopped and he was paralyzed so that he could no longer say a word or give commands concerning his house. Uh, so he apparently has a stroke. Now, the writer of 1 Maccabees does not say that God stroke, struck him down, but he kind of implies that, and I would agree with that. This guy is a bad guy, and he would certainly come under God's judgment. And it stops him from dismantling any more of the inner 
portions of the temple complex, which has just recently been rededicated, only about four years earlier. Uh, now, we don't know exactly how long he suffered from the effects of this stroke, uh, but eventually, verse 56 says, Alchemist died at that time in great agony. So he may have gone on for a few more weeks, but he eventually does die. Verse 57 says, when Bacchiades saw that Alchemus was dead, he returned to the king, and the land of Judah had rest for two years. Uh, so Bacchiades acknowledges that his, his work has no purpose anymore, because he was there in support of Alchemus, the high priest of the Jewish people. That guy's dead. Uh, Bacchiades knows he's not really wanted there, so he pulls his troops back north. And for the next two years, so 159 and 158 BC, Judah was kind of left alone by the Syrian Macedonians. But then in 157, the renegade Jews are rabble-rousing. They're insisting that uh, Demetrius support them in taking over. Uh, in Jerusalem again. And they insist that the supporters of Jonathan, uh, the brother of the late Judas, that those supporters, those religious zealots, they're weak. They're not going to be able to uh, uh, stand up against Bacchides and his military forces. So, uh, Bacchides is dispatched once again by his king, Demetrius, to go down and do this. Well, guess what? It was bad intel. Uh, Jonathan and his religious forces are able to repel uh, Bacchides and his guys, and that really kind of ticks off Bacchides, and he punishes uh, some of those renegade Jews that gave him the bad intelligence, and then he leaves. He goes back north again. And uh, we are told that Jonathan then made some sort of peace treaty with the Syrian Macedonians, and so they enjoy uh, some period of peace, uh, some limited period of peace. And that'll take us up to 152 BC. And that's when you've got another person who arrives in the area that wants to challenge Demetrius for his throne. And as it's actually two cousins that are arguing back and forth, uh, and the both of them realize that the Jews to the south could be the extra weight uh, that could throw the uh, throne to them. And so they both start wooing uh, Jonathan, the high priest of the Jewish people, uh, to get his support. And uh, 1 Maccabees 10, uh, verse 46, tells part of the story. It says, when Jonathan and the people heard these words, uh, it's basically it was promises of freedom for the Jewish people um, from Demetrius. They did not believe or accept them. 
because they remembered the great wrongs that Demetrius had done in Israel and how much he'd opposed them. And they favored Alexander. That's the cousin that wants to take over because he had been the first to speak peaceable words to them and they remained his allies all his days. So Alexander seems to be genuine in his overtures and that's why Jonathan decides to support him instead. Uh, in 150, Alexander defeats Demetrius in battle and he then makes a peace treaty with Ptolemy VI of Egypt, and he seals it by marrying Ptolemy's daughter Cleopatra Thea. And it just so happens that Jonathan, the Jewish high priest, was invited to come to Ptolemaeus on the coast uh, northwest of Judea uh, to meet with these two kings at the time of their peace treaty in 150. And that's recorded in 1 Maccabees 10.59. Then King Alexander wrote to Jonathan to come and meet him. So he went with pomp to Ptolemaeus and met the two kings. He gave them and their friends silver and gold and many gifts and found favor with them. A group of malcontents from Israel, renegades, so these are the Jews that don't want to be religious, and so they don't want a religious high priest. I know this is all very twisted, isn't it? But they don't want a religious high priest, so they come complaining to King Alexander about that. And so uh, they gathered together against him to accuse him, but the king paid no attention to them. The king gave orders to take off Jonathan's garments and to clothe him in purple, and they did so. That is a Greek symbol of power and honor. The king also seated him at his side, and he said to his officers, Go out with him into the middle of the city and proclaim that no one is to bring charges against him about any matter and let no one annoy him for any reason. So he's not going to have any more of these challenges against his friend Jonathan. Uh, when his accusers saw the honor that was paid him in accordance with the proclamations and saw him clothed in purple, they all fled. And then the king honored him and enrolled him among his chief friends and made him general and governor of the province. And Jonathan returned to Jerusalem in peace and gladness. And so now we're seeing that the crisis that had originally started uh, in 175 is, is really starting to come to an end now. Because the Jewish high priest, Jonathan, is now on pretty good terms with the ruler of Syria, the Macedonian ruler of Syria. Uh, but things have not settled down yet in that Greek kingdom. And so through a series of chaotic events uh, in 145 BC, Alexander ends up being deposed and then later killed. And then Demetrius II, the son of the last guy that caused the Jews trouble, he came to power in Macedonian Syria. And even though he'd originally opposed this new ruler, Jonathan was able to turn around and make peace with Demetrius II 
and keep his position as high priest. In other words, to still be identified as the ruler of the Jewish people. Now, shortly after that, uh, Jonathan began to support Antiochus V, who was the very young son of the late Alexander. And because of that, he decided to throw his support behind a general named Trypho, who was trying to bring uh, Alexander's son, uh, Antiochus V, or sixth to the throne. Well, as it got closer and closer to Trypho looking like he would succeed, Trypho decided that instead of putting this young boy on the throne, he would rather be the king of Syria. And he saw Jonathan, the Jewish high priest, as a threat to that. He did not believe that Jonathan would support him becoming the king instead of this young boy. So in 143 BC, Trypho betrayed Jonathan the high priest and captured him. And that left Shimon, Jonathan's brother, and the only other surviving son of Mattithiah as the new leader of the Jewish people. And this is where the story uh, really starts to pick up some interesting steam. 1 Maccabees 13, 1. Shimon heard that Trypho had assembled a large army to invade the land of Judah and destroy it. And he saw that the people were trembling with fear. So he went up to Jerusalem and gathering the people together, he encouraged them saying to them, you yourselves know what great things my brothers and I and the house of my father have done for the laws and the sanctuary. You know also the wars and the difficulties that my brothers and I have had, have seen. By reason of all this, my brothers have perished for the sake of Israel, and I alone am left. And that's true. Only his brother Jonathan is still alive, but he's in captivity. Verse 5, And now far be it from me to spare my life at, in any time of distress, for I'm not better than my brothers, but I will avenge my nation and the sanctuary and your wives and children, for all the nations have gathered together out of hatred to destroy us. And the spirit of the people was rekindled when they heard these words, and they answered in a loud voice, You are our leader in place of Yehuda and your brother Jonathan, fight our battles, and all that you say to us, we will do. So he pumps these people up to defend the religious Jewish kingdom that they have tried to reestablish. So he assembled all the warriors and hurried to complete the walls of Jerusalem, and he fortified it on every side. He sent Jonathan, the son of Absalom, to Yappa, and with him a considerable army, he drove out its occupants and remained there. So now he starts securing key positions uh, as he's preparing to fight. Uh, then Trypho left Ptolemaeus with a large army to invade the land of Ju Judah, and Jonathan was with him under guard. Shimon camped in Adida, facing the plain. And Trypho learned that Shimon had risen up in place of his brother Jonathan and that he was about to join battle with him. So he sent envoys to him and said, If it's for money that your brother Jonathan owed the royal treasury, 
excuse me, let me do that again. It is for money that your brother Jonathan owed the royal treasury in connection with the offices he's held that were detaining him. Send now 100 talents of silver, two of his sons as hostages, so that when released, he will not revolt against us and we will release him. So this is the cover story that Trifo comes up with. He says, the only reason I'm keeping your brother right now is because he owes back taxes. Taxes he promised to pay us. So if you give us the money he owes us, and send us two of his sons to act as political hostages, then we'll let him free and he can go back to leading you again. Now, uh, verse number 19. Um, excuse me, verse 17. Shimon knew that they were speaking deceitfully to him, but he sent to get the money and the sons so that he would not arouse great hostility among the people who might say it's because Shimon didn't send him the money and the sons that Jonathan perished. So he sent the sons and the two and the hundred talents, but Trypho broke his word and did not release Jonathan. So Shimon does exactly as he was asked to do, and it turned out exactly as he expected. After this, Trypho came to invade the country and destroy it. He circled around by the way to Adora. But Shimon and his army kept circling around opposite him to every place he went. So we've got some interesting strategy going on here that Shimon is just basically trying to keep up with everywhere that Trypho goes and kind of hassling him and keeping him from really carrying out any type of effective military operation in Judah. Verse 21, now the men in the citadel, that's what we will later refer to as the Tower of Antonia. It's the fortified position on the north side of the Temple Mount. Uh, so the men in the citadel kept sending envoys to Trypho, urging him to come to them by way of the wilderness and to send them food. So these guys are anti-Jew. They're Jewish people that don't want to be religious Jews. So they're anti-Jonathan, they're now anti-Shimon, and they are pro-Trypho. But they are starving because they've been cut off, as you would expect uh, Shimon to do. So Trypho got all his cavalry to get ready to go, but that night a very heavy snow fell, and he did not go because of the snow, and he marched off and went into the land of Gilead. So a huge snowstorm stops him from coming up to Jerusalem. And instead, he decides to go across the Jordan. Verse 23. When he approached Bashkaman, he killed Jonathan and he was buried there. So he's, he's done. He's done playing around. He doesn't want to mess with Jonathan anymore. He just kills him. Then Trifo turned and went back to his own land. So he went back to Antioch. Um, Shimon sent and took the bones of his brother Jonathan and buried him in Modain, the city of his ancestors. And all Israel bewailed him with great lamentation and mourned for him many days. So now the father, the heroic father, Mattithiah, and all the sons of Mattithiah except Shimon, all the heroic sons are now dead. And so Shimon, verse 27, 
built a monument over the tomb of his father and his brothers. He made it high so that it might be seen with polished stone at the front and back. He also erected seven pyramids opposite one another for his father and mother and four brothers. For the pyramids he devised an elaborate setting, erecting about them great columns, and on the columns he put suits of armor for a permanent memorial, and beside the suits of armor he carved ships so that they could be seen by all who sail the sea. And this is the tomb that he built in Modain. It remains to this day. So all of that was still easily seen and visited uh, in the time of the writer of, of uh, 1 Maccabees these great heroes of the faith, uh, and Shimon is the last one. 1 Maccabees 13, 31. Trypho dealt treacherously with the king, the young king, Antiochus. He killed him. That happened in 142 BC, and it's exactly as we expected, because Trypho pretended that he was going to put young king Antiochus on the throne, but all along, he planned on seizing the throne for himself. Verse 32, he became king in his place, putting on the crown of Asia, and he brought great calamity on the land. But Shimon built up the strongholds of Judea and walled them all around with high towers and great walls and gates and bolts. He stored food in the strongholds. Shimon also chose emissaries and sent them to King Demetrius, with a request to grant relief to the country for all that Trypho did was to plunder. So Shimon starts acting as the leader of the Judean people, not just religiously, but militarily. And he begins to build up the military strength of the Jewish people. And then he reaches out to Demetrius II, uh, who was not the best of people in the past, but who's better than Trypho. And so, verse 35, King Demetrius sent him a favorable reply to this request, wrote him a letter as follows. King Demetrius to Shimon, the high priest and friend of kings, and to the elders and nation of the Jews, greetings. We've received the gold crown and the palm branches that you sent. We're ready to make a general peace with you and to write to our officials to grant you release from tribute. All the grants that we've made to you remain valid and let the strongholds that you built be your possession. So Demetrius II is bargaining with Shimon to basically make Judea into an independent kingdom. Verse 39, we pardon all any errors and offenses committed to this day Cancel the crown tax that you owe, and whatever other tax you have been collected in Jerusalem shall be collected no longer. And if any of you are qualified to be enrolled in our bodyguard, let them be enrolled, and let there be peace between us. So, in exchange for the assistance of the Jewish people in putting down Trifles' revolt in the Syrian kingdom of the Macedonians, Demetrius basically grants independence to the Jewish people. And that's why verse 41 and 42 report, in the 170th year, the yoke was removed from Israel and the people began to write in their documents and contracts in the first year of Shimon, the great high priest and commander and leader of the people, uh, of the Jews. 
And by the way, he starts striking coinage shortly after that. We found these coins uh, in archaeological digs, uh, particularly around Bethlehem for some reason. And uh, they show that the Jewish people count this as the beginning of their independent kingdom. This is the Hasmonean kingdom that starts at this time. Uh, verse 43, in those days, Shimon escaped, or excuse me, encamped against Gazara, that's Gaza, and surrounded it with troops. He made a siege engine, brought it up to the city, battered and captured one tower. The men in the siege engine leaped out into the city, and a great tumult arose in the city. The men in the city with their wives and children went up on the wall with their clothes torn. They cried out with a loud voice, asking Shimon to make peace with them. They said, don't treat us according to our wicked acts, but according to your mercy. So Shimon reached an agreement with them, stopped fighting against them, but he expelled them from the city, cleansed the houses in which the idols were located, then entered it with hymns and praise. He removed all uncleanness from it and settled in it those who observed the law. He also strengthened its fortifications and built in it a house for himself. So we see that Shimon begins his administration by expanding his control. Goes all the way to the seacoast to Gaza. He's already got Joppa that is under his control. And everywhere he goes, he turns it into a religious community. Verse 49, those who were in the citadel at Jerusalem were prevented from going in and out to buy and sell in country, so they were very hungry. Many of them perished from famine. Then they cried to Shimon to make peace with them, and he did so. But he expelled them from there and cleansed the citadel from its pollutions. So he has starved these guys to the point that they're ready to give up. And when they do, he kicks them out. Because they are Jewish, but they are not religious Jews. So he sends them packing and then repurposes the citadel uh, as a religious citadel. That is a protector for the Temple Mount. Verse 51, on the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, so that would be uh, basically Friday the 4th of June in 141 BC. Uh, Pentecost is only about 10 days away at that point. The Jews entered it with praise and palm branches, with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments, with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Shimon decreed that every year they should celebrate this day with rejoicing. He strengthened the fortifications of the Temple Hill alongside the citadel, and he and his men lived there. Shimon saw that his son John had reached manhood, and so he made him commander of all the forces, and he lived in Gaza. This John will become very important in our story coming up very soon. But this is the official beginning of the short-lived, but pretty religious at the beginning, Hasmonean kingdom. And we'll talk more about this tomorrow when we get back together.